Okay, so I think we can probably start off with like big thing, which is China's reaction to what happened. If you want to go more into that, um, like what has the messaging of the Chinese Communist Party been on the subject? From what I've seen, it's pretty much been like kind of deferring, putting out maybe moderately pro-Russia statements, but generally saying like very little on the conflict. So I'm interested in what you're what you're thinking and what you're seeing on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I I really don't think China wants like any part. It doesn't want to be viewed as an aggressive state or an aggressor in any way. Um, like even if like the Security Council just met and China voted um, well, abstain or like, they abstained. So I I really don't see China wanting to interfere in any way, but definitely down the line, like we're going to see China benefit from this. Um, just from like the destabilization of the Russian state within like Western European countries. I mean, there's a lot of security, there's a lot of technology, there's a lot of development that Russia does. Um, So I I see China like taking more of a role in that area for sure. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people have been talking about what the situation, what the ramifications of it will be for Taiwan, like China, there has been, some messaging that China's main takeaway from the whole situation is like how it can kind of utilize it for the reunification of Taiwan with China. I think it was also interesting. Someone was talking about this on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember who, but was pointing out how like U.S. troops being placed in Taiwan. Uh, it, it's like very hypocritical when the U.S. is condemning Russia for uh, like you know, moving into an unrecognized area because they say Donetsk and Luhansk are not recognized territories, basically. But it's like, officially, the U.S. views Taiwan as like a part of China and yet has like the American military basically based there. So like, to what extent do you think there will be arguments about sovereignty, self-determination, like Taiwan's place as like even less of like a, a recognized independent nation yet still very much a hub for foreign military positions and and showing like yet kind of another level of like american hypocrisy i honestly think that the comparison is pretty flawed because the conditions are so different i mean taiwan is a very small island compared to ukraine which is one of the biggest countries in europe um and beyond like it's an island so the most important thing is the waterways so, I mean, the warfare or the, you know, military action that could happen on, like, a naval basis or, like, a naval playing field is completely different. Yeah. Um, and, it, like, it wouldn't be the same kind of invasion. Like, there is only yes or no in Taiwan. There's no, like, 50% of Taiwan is taken or something like that, you know? Right. It would be a much big, like, the thing is Taiwan doesn't really have, like, a military. Like, the U.S. Right. is really the most military force in Taiwan so if China goes if China tries to take Taiwan militarily it will automatically you know trigger uh this like a much bigger U.S. and NATO response from you know from Australia and things like that it's just it's just very hard to compare that to Ukraine where Ukraine I mean they literally border each other um they you know like the situation I think is very different so it's hard to try and compare it to, to Taiwan, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that also shows like a failure 
there's like a lot of talk about like Russia and China kind of forming this like alliance against uh, in like the you know like multipolar alliance against like the U.S. and NATO and like reunification with Taiwan being like the next step in that process, just like what Russia has done. But like you're saying, I think that not only like misunderstands China's relationship with Russia, it misunderstands like China's position in the whole situation. Like I, I think what you're getting at is like China right now is favoring a level of stability and mm-hmm. there's like a level of, there's a level of destabilization that I think it's okay with, with like Russia being embroiled in this conflict. It potentially, if the U.S. does nothing, if NATO does nothing, there, there's a level of that that like I think China is okay with kind of watching from the side. But I think the biggest worry is like the NATO response, the response of global capital is only going to try and like totally, totally like marginalize Russia. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if there, if we're trying like positioning something of like multipolarity, it implies that like Russia and China are both acting as like alternatives to the U.S. global order. And if they eliminate Russia from that, that's not favorable to a multipolar world. So I think like, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I don't even think that China is thinking of it like that right now. I think how they see it is um, one, they share the most like border, like the most miles per border they share with Russia, you know, like there's a huge, there, there are huge parts of China that border Russia. So they can't be totally against Russia. Like that would be a very difficult thing to do. I mean, considering all the, you know, collaboration they've done. And they also can't be totally uh, anti-NATO because they are surrounded effectively by Australia and Japan. Um, So it's really, they're trying to find like the middle ground. And I think that's the best way for them to come out of it as the, as the, the strongest force for the third world, because I think most third world countries are kind of in that camp of, we don't really want to see war, but we also don't want either side they don't particularly like either side, you know? And so I, I feel like in that way, China is really the, the leader for the third world in that respect. And I think too, like, insofar as there's a, a, an agreement in what I've been reading at the very least, like there are some exceptions. There are some countries that have put out, I think we can get more into this, like the countries that are more allied with Russia overtly, like Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba to a certain extent have definitely been very like uh, clearly kind of pro-Russia. I mean, I think that term is not really accurate, but have indicated like a level of understanding of, of what Russia is doing that other countries have not. But I, I still think, and exactly like you're saying, their general analysis of the situation is that like Russia is risking something very big happening with NATO potentially going after Russia and like really obliterating Russia that they definitely don't want because Russia is their ally. Like I talked to um, Thomas Miles, like he's an expert on Niger and West African politics. And he was telling me how the fear right now on the ground for people in Mali, for example, where the Russian military is very active is that the Russian military being there and the French military being there, like withdrawing recently, but not really, like still very much being there. The big fear is that like the French have another justification for being like there are Russian milit- like mercenaries here. We can go in and get rid of them. 
and we should because if NATO goes to war with Russia, then it's like that's the hypothetical. So I think for a lot of those countries, like the NATO elimination of Russia would be very bad because Russia is like an alternative militarily, whatever. Like, you know, I don't really know how justified that is, but at least they see it as an alternative to French military support or American military dominance, whatever. And they're worried about NATO wiping that out and NATO really like prevailing in a in like a more continental conflict. So I agree too. And also with the point of that, like Australia and Japan being at this point basically NATO members, like they have the the Australia, UK, US uh, alliance that they have like encircling China again. So there's a big fear like if this gets really out of hand, NATO begins to really take advantage yeah like i think the chinese kind of understanding of it and positioning of it of this could get very bad very quickly and if australia and japan get involved it could get very bad for china as well so that position it's a very precarious position to be in um yeah any reaction to those thoughts well what's interesting to me i think is that you can really see the difference between Russia and China's policy. Um, like Russia really has had a militarist and um, like much more, there was a lot more policy and collaboration based on the military. I mean, when I think about the first countries that were in support of Russia, they got a lot of military support from Russia. You know, you think about Nicaragua, you think about Venezuela. Um, they have had um, joint military exercises. They have had Russian operatives be in the country, support the country, all this stuff. So to them, they have a very close relationship with the Russian army. Um, and I think that's uh, the biggest concern internationally is like how a war in Ukraine could affect um, international efforts by Russia in its, in its army. And that, that's again why I think China's policy has been uh, a lot more, I'm not sure if the word, right word is effective, but it's a lot more spread out. Um, if there was some kind of conflict uh, with China and other people, with, I mean, particularly I'm talking about the US, of course, um, but if it could, of course, be Japan or Australia, um, I think that there would be a lot more countries that would go to support China in the end, honestly. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think that that's the thing to kind of watch, right? It's like, what is the, what are the areas for advantage? What are the areas for disadvantage? Like a NATO operation against Russia that seeks to take Russia out, you know, whether you agree with Russia's decision or not, it's pretty clear that like NATO will take advantage of it. NATO has been encircling Russia for a long time. You don't have to be like a, and I'm not like a supporter of, of Putin to see that NATO is using the decision by by Russia to gain uh, a level of like justification for action. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that justification ends at just Russia. Like I think it goes to the countries that are perceived as being part of this new axis of evil, as somebody put it online. And China is is lumped in with that because to in Americans' eyes, it's like the cold war again pretty much get the same gang of of evil countries together and go after them and what i think yeah well i was just gonna say i mean i think to me it just shows the 
the weakness of NATO as well, because yeah. you see that Germany and Italy and, you know, a lot of other European countries aren't as adamant about, you know, putting on troops and, you know, right. putting a lot of effort into Ukraine. I mean, they support them um, in some aspects, like sanctions and things like that, but it, it, it's not the militant response that I think the U.S. would want to see. Um, and that, that also goes back to the, the thing with China, right, where it's like, it's really becoming more and more uh, a U.S. versus Russia issue, I would say. Right. Like, NATO is become, is become more and more a U.S. and U.K. initiative. You know, like the European yeah. powers really don't aren't as adamant about participating in that kind of that kind of policy. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is exactly what China may be thinking is like the, the biggest threat for them is if it expands out of Europe and goes into a Pacific theater or, you know, whatever you want to say. Another thing to think of is like, what are the so something that I that I thought was really interesting was like a lot of writing. For example, like South Africa, uh, the government is like one of the largest trading partners with Russia in Africa and yet came out kind of, you know, was like not in favor of the invasion and kind of uh, kind of trying to have this policy of like, because I think in their eyes, they perceive it as not necessarily um, a smart decision. Now, I think, again, there's like the the general analysis that I perceive from that is they are deeply concerned about Russia being taken off SWIFT, being isolated economically from the rest of the world, because multipolarism, whether you, again, whether you support Russia or not, Russia is one of those multipolar axes of the world, and South Africa has benefited from that. So I'm thinking too about, about BRICS, and I'm interested in, you, you were reading the Brazilian Communist Party statement on the matter, like I'm, I'm following the South African, you know, like, South African Communist Party is in the government, so they, I think, will agree with the government in that kind of analysis of they're still, like, economically very tied to Russia, and yet they're very worried that this decision is going to lead to some very negative consequences for Russia from NATO, and so they're very tentatively being like, you know, this needs to end here at the very least before it becomes really something global. So if you want to talk about Brazil, it'd be interesting well, to compare I mean, that. Brazil is yeah. a very interesting and weird place um because um i mean uh the russian foreign minister was meeting with a lot of um latin american leaders um just like this month like the past two weeks um and one of them was bolsonaro Mm. and he kind of gave like tacit support for russia um it wasn't like a a government support it was really like a bolsonaro kind of opinion and vice president you know, didn't really agree. Mm. Um, and he, they went more towards the Ukrainian side or more of a, maybe a middle ground side, I would say. Um, so, I mean, the, I think the opinion in, in Brazil is much closer to uh, like a Germany or a, Ru- or a China um, in that sense. Like it, Russia is not that big of a, I mean, they're part of BRICS, but their biggest trading partner is still China. And then after that is the US and then Argentina. So, I mean, Russian oil is not going to really, you know, dampen Brazil. Um, But, you know, it could, it could, it would definitely affect more um, Venezuela or something like that. 
um, especially as oil prices change. I mean, with rising oil prices, that could, you know, definitely change Venezuela. But well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see like the further development. I mean, even that is a very, very complicated take from like Bolsonaro disagreeing with his foreign minister. So I think the last thing to think about is like from these different responses that we're getting from like a different response from countries that are closer to Russia. And I'm thinking too about like the communist parties in those countries, like um, what are the like communist kind of perspectives? Because it's not, it's not really clear. Russia is not a communist country and like, it's not like the Soviet Union and, and you can just kind of agree with the policy of the Soviet Union. So I was interested in, the, in a statement that came out and the third world communist parties that supported it were Azerbaijan, Bangladesh, El Salvador, Mexico, the Philippines and Turkey, which sounds like a very like uh, chaotic yeah. group to kind of get together and, and draft a statement. But the statement was kind of like, I, I thought it was a good kind of address of all the layers of this, where they were talking about how they're opposed to the conflict. They're like their primary concern and primary uh, opposition to it is derived from the fact that they believe it's it's coming out of this NATO expansionism and Russia has like kind of foolishly played into, into NATO's hand in a way like NATO now has an opportunity to justify something. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a hope, I think that like, in my opinion, from what I've been reading and, you know, I, I don't know to what extent these parties agree that like, the chaos from this situation, because it, it really is very chaotic and it's very still, I mean, today NATO mobilized its uh, defense force. So mm-hmm. it seems pretty clear where it's going and it, it's going with an operation to, you know, punish Russia basically for this. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, and, and another party that I was following was like the Communist Party of Kenya, which has a very good line on the subject where, where they were saying like, the main thing you have to be against in formulating this is like NATO, NATO expanding for one thing, NATO getting bigger, NATO going outside of Europe, which it already has, but like incorporating Australia and in, incorporating this like global north of, of capitalist nations, but also NATO getting boots on the ground in, and they already have them in, in Iraq, um, continuing the operation in Somalia, going into Mali, like they're already in, in areas of the African continent. So them expanding further and using this potentially to justify action against Russia where it is internationally. But I think with that, if you're trying to formulate an anti-imperialist, third world is communist perspective on this whole thing, you're thinking about what opportunities does it maybe pose for these parties taking advantage of, you know, the chaos that's happening right now and taking advantage of it's true that even though NATO is mobilizing, I think what you're saying, there's a little bit of disharmony within the NATO relationship. And even though the U.S. is very quickly forcing Germany and Italy to agree, like it forced Germany and Italy to agree to kick Russia out of SWIFT, which Germany was opposed to because Germany has a very strong energy relationship with Russia. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is, is getting the, the gang together basically to do its, its war, but there's still this unity and the destruction that the U.S. potentially causes in Russia, um, you know, could pose some opportunities and the distraction basically that that will pose, I think, you know, being very optimistic because right now it seems like 
it will be very negative for a multipolar world if NATO really takes Russia out of the picture. The hope maybe is that there can be more action against neo-colonial regimes that will support the French as part of NATO uh, in West Africa, that will support the UK in, in East African countries like Kenya, where the British have bases. Again, Britain is part of NATO, especially the US, which is all over the world. And if there's if there's a concerted effort to halt the US military as it's trying to use this, especially as we're talking about, if, if it puts China next up on the, the chopping block once it's done with Russia or whatever, like I think if there's a more concerted effort to stop that in parts of the world where the US military and NATO military at large is, that will be the most positive way in, gen- in opposing everything that NATO does and is doing right now while it's kind of trying to distract the world uh, with this. Yeah, with this, I mean, this is actually like a really interesting point, I think, because, I mean, Germany has like, I think the largest U- U.S. military base in Europe, right? Yeah. Um, and if you think about El Salvador, if you think about the Philippines, if you think about Turkey, I mean, these are very strong military governments like they have very strong police forces um and very pro-us and i mean turkey wants to be in nato is opposed to what russia is doing so exactly so to me it's very interesting that the biggest like pushback is really in these areas that have experienced the most like damaging effects of like a u.s foreign policy um specifically like how the u.s will support nation building and like what kind of policies domestically the u.s will support um within a country you know yeah um because i mean i think that china feels relatively uh apart from the u.s you know like they have a lot of economic ties but like their government is very strong so you know it can make a lot more of its own opinion um so it's interesting that like the the biggest fervor against the u.s and like pro-russia i would say um, I mean, that's hard to say, but like, you know, okay. in, in some way, like have tacit support for the invasion of Ukraine. Like that is like that. That's it's very interesting to think about, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of these countries are thinking about how this is going to affect them. Like they're think they're looking at Russia invading Ukraine and there's definitely a level of like confusion and chaos. And, and again, like very difficult to really understand that. I think you see that with like the communist party in Vietnam and they're like, I was reading this article about their typical, like very, again, very pro Russia, just like South Africa for the most part, yet they've, they've been kind of confused about why this is happening and very concerned about what is next. So I think like their general position coming out of this is like negotiate an end today. Like, the Russian government put out its conditions for what would be a negotiated end, which is like prevent Ukraine and other like frontline states, if you want to call them that, from joining NATO. And I really think like that is that is Russia's demand, right? But if you're in the third world and you're thinking in terms of like what those communist parties are thinking, which is kind of what we're trying to figure out, is like it shouldn't it it you're thinking about the expansion of nato not just to ukraine or finland like you're thinking about the expansion of nato to your backyard in nato going in and doing more damage in iraq nato expanding to australia japan south korea like 
I think it's interesting because NATO as a name, being the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is not really accurate in, in conveying the real like U.S. military cabal, if you want to put it that way, of these countries that are pro-America and are willing to be part of a global encirclement strategy of really Russia and China. And it's hard, it's hard to look at it and think like a lot of these countries that are legitimately communist are not supporting what Russia is doing, but are in a way by the U.S. being forced onto, their, onto Russia's side by the, the aggressive U.S. and NATO policy. And that's a very hard position to be in because, yeah. I mean, people talk about like what China is going to do with Taiwan, but I think a bigger question is what the U.S. will do in Latin America. Yeah. You know, like, um, like you know, an invasion of Venezuela or invasion of Nicaragua, you know, I mean, I, I doubt Cuba, but the other two, I could definitely see some form yeah. of U.S. support for, you know, a Costa Rican-based invasion or a Colombian-based invasion or something like that. You know, I mean, there's definitely a bigger threat um, in those countries than I would say of invasion, even in like, say, in Austria, you know, which is yeah. so much closer to right. Russia. But, yeah. you know, ultimately, those countries are the most cut off from the world, you know, and they're seeing yeah. Russia also get, also get cut off, which is one of their biggest you know, biggest allies, both economically and militarily. But so I think that's like a very scary prospect for, yeah. you know, communist nations in Latin America. Yeah. And likewise, uh, from the African perspective of, uh, you know, parties and countries across the continent, like they're thinking about, okay, Mali brought Russian troops in to deal with the Malian civil war that France basically gave up on or, or probably was like taking advantage of to stay in and continue France Afrique. And Macron, a day before Putin made his decision, uh, is talking about how dangerous the Russian mercenaries, the Wagner group in West Africa is. I mean, the, this group also is very active in the Central African Republic. And it, it's like kind of an extension of the Russian military. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that the French military had just announced that it was going to conclude again in air quotes because it's like the French military never concludes anything in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, but they basically had just done that. And right now, if things start to escalate, they have a very clear opportunity to like go right back in and, and turn Mali into Mali's already a war zone, but turn it into a, like an apocalyptic, okay, France is fighting Russia there's a civil war already. And it's like, we saw what happened when NATO went into Libya. Like, that's a great first example of NATO, uh, uh, ostensibly European organization. I mean, North Atlantic, whatever, but taking action in a North African nation against Gaddafi, totally turning Libya into a living nightmare for everybody by overthrowing Gaddafi. And if they try to do something like that in in Mali, in West Africa, in the Central African Republic. And even as the Communist Party of Kenya was pointing out, like Somalia is right there uh, in, in East Africa, where there's already plenty of, of British and American activity, the potential for a battleground across the African continent is very scary as well. So, you know, I think that is what people have to be thinking about is how does this turn from a conflict in, in Eastern Europe 
to NATO really expanding it into a global war. And it doesn't have to be like a World War II where there are alliances and it's very clear there's like a, a block on one side and another, but it's like the America is forcing that kind of situation where it's like you're either with the US or you're siding with the adversary. Even though in most cases, as you're saying, like these countries have chosen Russian security aid because of the, the failure of the West or the aggression of the West in the case of like Venezuela. And they're put into a very bad position. And now the West is going to come and say like, oh, you chose Russian aid. You chose Russia's side. Time to come after you too. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that's what I'm, I mean, in a way I'm more interested in that and like what Russia's decision to go into Ukraine means for, you know, parties across the world, you know, because I'm, I'm, it, it seems very likely that Russia will have less and less resources over the coming years to, you know, give support to Venezuela, to give support to Nicaragua. Right. So it's like, as Russia is kind of like grinding itself down in Ukraine, depending on how long, you know, how long the situation lasts and the yeah. eventual outcome of it, you know, it's like, depending on how long that situation is, I mean, it could have very drastic effects for countries which are already in a very precarious balance. Um, I say the one good thing that Venezuela has on its side is that, you know, increasing oil prices um, mm. from the closing of Russia would benefit Venezuela. Not as much in Latin America where Russian oil isn't as prominent. Um, but if Venezuela was, you know, sending oil to Spain or to Portugal, I mean, that could have, you know, much good, that could have a, a lot of positive benefits, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I guess, just one very last note, but it's to think like, what I think we're getting at is that like the, the conflict in the global South that has been going on because people have ha- been having this reaction of like, wow, the world is so crazy all of a sudden. And, and you know, what just happened? It's like European conflicts, but there are conflicts in the global South that have been happening long before this. And in many ways are going to intensify because of this, uh, you know, whether it's NATO expansion or, exactly as you're saying, Russian involvement in the country. Like, it's interesting to think about Syria and the Middle East as well, where Russia is very actively involved in in Mm -hmm. Syria, supporting Bashar al-Assad. Israel also is, like, trying to maintain stability in in Syria, and yet is finding itself on the side of the West, obviously, because Israel is, you know, a Western um, ally. Mm -hmm. And I just am thinking of, like, what that is going to potentially turn into in Syria, what it's going to mean for, you know, the people that Israel oppresses domestically, the people that Israel goes after, what it's going to mean for Iran, which also is, is close with Russia as a, uh, a, an ally for it against the West. So it, it has the potential of sparking things again in the Middle East. And a lot of these conflicts, like we're saying, Venezuela is going on a long time before before this, I mean, the Ukraine crisis is happening a long time before as well, but like mm-hmm. wars have been hot in, in Syria, in Venezuela, in Libya, West Africa, so all over the world. And we just have to think not to place like a supremacy of this conflict. Oh, like Ukraine is the most important thing to think about, but really to think about how a lot of these conflicts that are happening in the, the peripheralized world now start to get more even more intense because of the decisions being made 
-hmm. in Europe, controlling people's lives from Europe and from France, which control, you know, uh, in a very negative way, has its neo-colonial empire, the British, and this new kind of what what to even make of it, like a supranational U.S. like military alliance, like NATO, which is which really is like a, an attempt to bring this kind of like old world war mentality of having a, a global like allies, defenders of democracy and whatever, but really is like a, a way of having a global police force, having a like force that can intervene in Libya, can then have like Australia and Japan to encircle China. So I think I totally agree with you if you're thinking from the perspective of like third worldism in a communism that has that as like its priority and you're thinking about how this turns into a real crisis in in the world system in terms of like really di like directly pitting the first world against the third but then also thinking about there are plenty of neo-colonial countries where the government like in Kenya I remember the ambassador made a speech at the UN which was very very pro-Ukraine and very much allying the Kenyan government and the Kenyan Communist Party really came down very hard on it and said he he is like selling and the government of Kenya is selling out to like British neo-imperial American neo-imperial interest so that's going to be another thing to think of is like what does the U.S. do to get more allies in the third world to, to break away from this like really what should be like a global south unified alliance against this expanding imperial alliance yeah i mean i i have to actually have to go right now yeah no problem my, my final thought uh similar in the vein of yours is really just um what i mean we haven't seen the full effect on the global south yet and i think in the next few months we'll really have a better understanding of what it's going to be like but we just have to wait and see because we don't know how far the conflict is going to go at the moment yeah, yeah. awesome I, this was great all right yeah, thanks so much. See you. Bye.